With me, Andy White, and with me today, as always, Martin Theobald. Yo. We have so much to get through. Well, actually, I, I wouldn't say so much. It was more that the quality of the amount of stuff we've got it's to get through. It's a stacked card. So we have, um, we've got the, the, the card, I suppose, of the weekend. Um, in Japan, it was known. <laughs> 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 the fights that went down at the O2 Arena with some massive shocks in there. Um, then we have some news on uh, Golovkin and Canelo. Uh, Goodwin Promotions has uh, scored a bit of a win for itself. And uh, yeah, uh, talk of the fallout from the O2 at the weekend. So I suppose uh, let's get started. And where better place to start, I suppose, than the knockout of the weekend, the fight of the weekend, you know, what do you think? Um Joshua versus White. Joshua White, yeah. Well, you were there, so like, was, yeah. yeah. It gives us, were... it gives us somewhat a unique perspective. We have on two this. perspectives: yeah. TV and uh, sat in the O2 perspective. Well, the um, <laughs> the uh, that's the first time. Actually, uh, what I was going to say is that's the first time I've been to a boxing match where it, it genuinely felt um, almost like a home crowd in terms of like almost like in a football sense. Almost no one was supporting White. I think if they were, there were lone voices scattered. <laughs> Everyone was just shouting for Anthony Joshua. Um, He's but, the attraction, isn't he? Yeah, He's, the only uh, time that perhaps that changed when we went to Wembley Arena that time, and I can't remember what the boxer's name was. He had about six hundred fans. Bugioni. Yeah, Bugioni <laughs> screaming his name. Yeah, but um, so yeah, it was it was an electric atmosphere. And when I first turned, <laughs> sorry, it was an electric atmosphere at that point. What about when he got rocked in the second round? What was... Oh, uh, no, he, he had everyone shit yeah. themselves. Yeah. <laughs> well, you did think to yourself, oh, what's going on here? But I, I realised, uh, certainly from where we were sitting, we, we weren't getting replays. So we thought, well, certainly I thought anyway, that he hadn't landed that much. He just sort of swing in. And I, I realised he'd hit him a few times. And we came to the conclusion that he'd won the second, like White had taken the second round. So it was like, wow, what's going to happen? What's going to happen next? Um... Did you realise from where you were the severity of like how badly Joshua? No, I, had been? I didn't. I didn't think he'd been. I didn't realise that he'd been. I mean, I did, I didn't look at. I haven't watched it back afterwards either. So did he get really pummeled? Did he in that second round? He didn't get pummeled. He got um, buzzed. I suppose would be the best way. So yeah. like, it was a big left from White, and um, you could see his legs stiffened up. Joshua's legs stiffened. Like he, <laughs> it, it harked back. You see it in the amateurs when he'd get hit. Um, the difference is in the amateurs you could get stopped if you kind of reacted in that way because you look like you're possibly in danger oh, okay. um, so his legs stiffened up and he didn't he looked a little bit overwhelmed like phased by it that he'd been connected with uh, he didn't do the best job I mean there's two signs of it he didn't do the best job of covering up and but he saw the round out fine he didn't go down or anything yeah. like that against somebody with more stamina and like you know more aggressive continued punching than what he could have probably been in trouble because he didn't tie up he didn't go in and clinch and like 
ruin the rest yeah, of the I, round. Yeah, that was one thing that struck me. I, I, I did think he was, he was almost like. <laughs> he likes trading blows with people because normally he comes out on top. And yeah. then when he started receiving them, he didn't think to himself, well, hold on, I don't have to take this punishment. Yeah. I can just tie yeah. him up. It's the flat track bully mentality. <laughs> yeah. Because he's just beaten up binmen and like you know <laughs> postal workers for 15 fights. But uh, on the other hand, conversely, you could say that it, it showed that he's got a better chin than perhaps people had given him credit for beforehand. Yeah. The stoppages in the amateurs, as I say, are kind of on his record. But it showed that he can take a punch. That, if uh, anything, that's what an amateur career is for, right? To learn, yeah, yeah, yeah. train, um, make a few mistakes or whatever. But yeah, I say it uh, It buzzed him, but certainly, uh, yeah, how it reacted inside the O2, I guess you... Uh, well, like I say, the the atmosphere was incredible. For Stormzy. At that for Stormzy point, yeah, Even for Stormzy. But the, uh, oh, fuck off. Like, how... uh, why is anyone getting an atmosphere for him? Uh, well, it, well... I'm saying in comparison to the low point of the night, can you imagine what that was? Uh, Paulie Malinagi being involved in anything. <laughs> well, I wasn't there at that it. point. When I came into the stadium, I, I was, I was, well, the arena, sorry. I was thinking to myself, is there any boxing on? Has, has, has it been cancelled because somebody's died? And then I realised Tony Bellew was fighting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. could have had a pin drop. It was so... I was like, this is depressing. Yeah. But then, At least at home, I could go for like a piss break, go and get another beer or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you could go for it in the O2, but it cost you £5.50 <laughs> a pint. It was horrendous. <laughs> and then, oh, I think I'll have a hot dog. £7.50, please. Oh, that's brilliant. That's oh, right. uh, Well, they must be pretty good hot dogs. Yeah, they're a hot dog with a bun. Beautiful. <laughs> so, £7.50 yeah. uh, quality. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I mean, I... I I going back to the fight. I thought um, I particularly enjoyed overall the fact that, like you said, he got rocked in the second, but he came back from that. I think a large part of that was due to Joshua's um, White's reaction after Joshua had hit him in the first. Is that yeah? Uh, had he actually? How many times did he hit him after the bell? Uh, I think it was only the once, oh, okay. but. Um, you know, ultimately, that's what the 10-second klaxon is for at the end of a round, is to give fighters pre-warning you've got 10 seconds left. So, in theory, they could start counting down in their heads. So, they know the the round is ending. Joshua, now, on multiple occasions, has just sacked that off and carried yeah, okay. on like well through the end of it. Because um, you made a post, didn't you, that by rights he could have been disqualified for that. He could and should have been disqualified like by rights. Um I mean, granted, you could argue White should have then been disqualified oh, yeah. for, you know, following it up, chinning the ref. Um. Yeah, but logically speaking, you can't disqualify by one after the other. He's yeah. the winner as soon as the other one gets disqualified, right? Yeah. And unfortunately, you're disqualified. WWE comes to life, <laughs> kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, no, I mean, that, that was a, you know, clearly a flare point. There was a lot of tension going into it, and, uh, you know, that helped it spark. So, I mean, Joshua fought it like a, a street fight. I think by his own admission, it was more at that point a street fight than a boxing match I don't think he particularly respected White's power or abilities before he got you know hit in the second round um, I think that probably made him respect him a little bit more and you know go back to his boxing a bit but uh, That's, that respect soon faded though didn't it with the uh, twisting of the wrists like the, uh, <laughs> the like winding up the gloves yeah. and f- pulling faces at White well the- yeah I think White just didn't have the stamina and you know he's come out and said he's got a, a hurt shoulder which I don't think does him any favours to come out and say that particularly he said you know if he didn't have a damaged shoulder he could have finished White, uh, Joshua off but I, nobody likes it when a fighter comes out and says that straight so after that, the fight that ended in the seventh round right yeah um, just as a side note to this my friend that I attended it with 
tried to put a bet on via his girlfriend for a seventh round knockout to Anthony Joshua. Yeah, how'd that go? Um, she had a friend over, and her friend said, change it to number five, lucky number five. So his girlfriend did. And that means <laughs> on a £15 bet, he missed out on something like £700. <laughs> About six phone calls that night. I can't believe you. I can't believe you. Oh, dear. That. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's that a complete yeah. sort of digression. But so one thing I wanted to ask you was, um, what was your scorecard looking like by the seventh round? The seventh round knockout, right? Yeah. So what was your look? What was your... My scorecard by this point wasn't particularly reliable because by this point I'd found... I've just moved house, so I've just found right. like half a bottle of rosé wine, half a <laughs> bottle of white wine, some beer that's knocking about. So my, my scorecard... I mean, it was a pretty clear, I suppose, six rounds to one to Joshua at that point. If it yeah. had stopped on points at that point because of a cut or whatever, Joshua was taking it. Yeah, okay. So it would have literally... White's only chance would have... Well, this is going to win the next five rounds, which looked unlikely, was to knock Joshua out. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so... Um, so have you got anything more to say about the fight specifically no I mean I think it, there were some questions answered around his chin um, that hadn't been answered before it was somebody that went in and actually you know had a bit of power to hit back and, and cause him those issues it possibly leaves more questions unanswered um, if you put him in with Tyson Fury that night granted he would fight a different fight but he would have also got schooled like, he would have got battered uh, with the head well, movement disappeared like after the second round there's no head movement from him so one of the things you'd have seen with Fury was that constantly he was fainting moving yeah. I'm doing it now I don't know why I can't <laughs> see it no but I know but exactly what the you head mean. movement was going there were feints there were little um, you know ins and outs and he so what, was, what purpose does that serve just to put your opponent off so you can't just there's two things for it one is to put your opponent off so you're doing the feint so you're moving your head left and right you're making it look like your shoulders uh, going one way right. or the other <clears throat> the other is to keep your head off the centre line which is possibly the more important thing so if your head is just static down the middle that's where you're aiming a jab so the person who's throwing the jab is always going to throw it down that centre line in theory, right? so if your head's not there, if you're constantly going left and right as per what Fury was doing it makes it very difficult to commit to throwing those punches because you're going to be hitting at fresh air an awful lot, which is you know possibly why Klitschko struggled so much of it yeah um, if that head's constantly bobbing around and moving, it makes it very difficult to make a target for the opponent. After the second round, that head movement from Joshua disappeared completely. Um, and it was quite noticeable. So, again, like he was a static target for somebody that could have you know, outreached him or outthought him as opposed to fought him. Um, so, yeah, it, it left questions you know, when he goes up through the next stage because we don't know how good Dillian White is. He could go on to win a world title himself in five years' time. We don't know. Um, yeah, well, that's another question I was going to ask you. Because we've very much done a sort of Joshua-centric pod here. And to, to some extent, that's, that's understandable because he won. Um, but how did you think... Could White have done anything different apart from be better, <laughs> like, specifically... If you're being critical of him, he didn't look in great shape. Um, I, I bumped into him the week before down at York Hall, and he, he you know, with clothes on, he looked in pretty good shape. That's possibly that's the way he's built to an extent. He's not six packs and, and muscles on muscles, similar to Fury. Um, but it looked like that stamina wasn't there, and so I say he is blaming the shoulder. But if he'd have had better stamina come the third round come the fourth round if he could have followed up those those uh, punches that he landed yeah. in the second and actually kept that power 
um, then he could have you know potentially caused an awful lot more for Joshua to worry about but it seemed as if Joshua lost respect for that power come about the fourth round because he knew it wasn't coming because he, I think he realised you know the stamina <clears throat> and whether don't, don't get me wrong I mean Dillian White had a chin of granite on him because some of those shots that he took would have knocked out all of you know Joshua's previous opponents combined <laughs> and so the fact that he was still there come the seventh um, was pretty impressive but you know a lot of that power and the stamina had gone by that point because Joshua had either worn it out of him or he didn't have it in the first place can you um, potentially see a fight between these two in the future maybe even uh, <coughs> a sort of uh, a title a title cont- like one one of them being the WBC champion for example one of them being WBA champion and may- maybe fighting for those two titles I mean it, it, yeah that's a hell of a scenario I, I to realize, get to yeah. but, uh, but I, I'm <coughs> sort of ask. I suppose the question I'm really asking is out of these two are either of them future world champions um, yeah I mean potentially Joshua is potentially white I think it is very difficult the question is how far can White go? I think Joshua can make it to world level because there aren't that many stages between Dillian White and being, you know, challenging for a no. world title in reality because there aren't that many heavyweights around that, you know, probably that much better than White. So you've got the likes of Povetkin, who isn't a world title holder. Uh, you've got the likes of Klitschko, who's now not a world title holder. You've then got maybe the likes of <coughs> um, Tony Thompson to an extent, although he recently got defeated. You've got the likes of um, Malik Scott, David Hay coming back. So these people that are around the periphery of being world title challengers, but they're not levels above uh, Dillian White, I don't think. So it'd be interesting. It's probably more interesting. You know that Joshua is going to be relatively carefully managed from here on in. Um, so they're talking about you know potentially the rematch with White, potentially a fight with Derek Chisora. Um it'll be more interesting to see what happens with White and what level he gets to before you can really make a benchmark out of how good the win on Saturday night was because he was troubled in that fight Joshua was troubled so was he troubled by somebody that's going to go on to world levels or was he troubled by somebody who you know may never win the British title may never be that good you don't know okay so moving okay on that because this is kind of where I wanted to go after we tidied up that fight which was as you mentioned there there's talk of Chisora being the next opponent. I think Josh didn't come he come out and said that's his preferred opponent. Uh, I've not seen it. But, oh, okay. Uh, well, I, that, well, that's what I thought I read anyway today. Um, but let, let's re- just for argument's sake, let's say that that is something that ends up happening. The question I would have is, would that be beneficial for him in a learning? Like, would, what would Derek Chisora give him to worry about? What would he learn? Fuck from? all, because he's shot. <laughs> You're right. He's useless. That's what, that's what I was worried about because I I suggested well if you fight Derek Chisora. Dexter is essentially just a, a human punching bag. What he gives him is a name on his record, mm-hmm. like somebody who's fought Klitschko, somebody who's, um, you know, he's challenged various fighters through his career, challenged Hay, but he's never succeeded at these no. levels, and now he's well below those levels, as Tyson Fury proved when he fought him and just out-jabbed him for an entire fight. Um, Chisora doesn't offer anything as a, a learning curve for Joshua in my opinion you saw what Fury did to him which was just beat him up and relentlessly jab him over a period of time if he'd have committed and properly like gone into him that could have ended horrifically which mm. if Joshua does that to him I think probably one of the, the things you can't question is Joshua is a, he's not one punch concussive uh, knockout artist although the, the knockout the, the 
the uppercut he landed on uh, White at the weekend was impressive and left him kind of crumbled. But you could argue that that is more over a period of the fight that led to that. Right. As um, like if he'd have done that in the first the round, back. yeah. If he'd have done it in the first round, it probably wouldn't have had the same effect. Yeah. But you put Derek Chisora in that same situation in the first round, and he'd have probably fucking flown out the ring or whatever. Um, so Chisora doesn't offer to me anything that would be impressive if Joshua beat him. Okay, so in your opinion, just briefly, who would be the best opponent for him? Um, yeah, in terms of learning to go forward, perhaps. Who would offer him some? Um, I mean, we've started to see him go rounds now, so I think someone like Marius Vac, who um, is a big lump of a bloke, and recently um, he'd been in with Povetkin and got stopped in the twelfth round. That would be a good fight because it he doesn't hit back all that much, Marius Wack. Um, he's he's a big lump of a bloke, but he's solid. So that'd be interesting to see how Joshua lasted into say the tenth or eleventh round, and see uh, if he could go that far with him and how that stamina holds up mm. through those rounds. Because he started to answer some of the questions, but don't forget he's only gone just over halfway through a twelve round fight now. Um, Dave, I heard David Hay on the radio at the weekend saying, "Oh, David Hayes." You know, I think he would offer skill, he would offer this, he would offer that. And and I, well, some of the lads that I was at the boxing with, they were saying that David Hay would take Joshua. Could do. So Who knows? We haven't seen him for two and a half years. <laughs> How can you say that he would take Joshua? He has got a lot bigger hair. He has got bigger hair than when we last saw I don't know, like in his prime, yeah, maybe he could have. Because he's... Um, explosive he's smaller and he's quick and he's but you don't know like until we see him in January against Mark Demory we don't know what on earth David Hayes got left in him and I think he, you know he came out and said the same thing himself that we'll find out in January what he's got left the the, the shoulder injuries and things have taken their toll so uh, yeah I don't know we'll see but okay. it would. I think they're probably heading for that fight next year uh, by all accounts is that they're looking at um, kind of September time. I think they're talking of getting Joshua out in April next year. So expect if he comes through that against someone like Derek Chisora, then David Hay would probably be September time next year. Okay. So um, potentially waiting almost a year for a real challenge <laughs> to Annie Joshua. Yeah. And the <laughs> thing is, it's going to be sad now because Eddie Hearn will protect Joshua because you know we'll come on to it in a minute but he's lost Luke Campbell and Kevin Mitchell well, I say lost they lost on Saturday night mm. so he needs to do a bit of a rebuilding process there one thing he's not going to do is risk having to do an immediate rebuilding process with Joshua so his next fight will be soft would be my guess yeah that seems and look we want him, we want him to learn we want him to become a better boxer don't we I mean as, as we would like to see nobody I mean, wants him to fail no, well, well some course. people do. That's yeah. right. But uh, yeah, there's always some. But like, it would be nice to have um, a couple. And when I say couple, I'm thinking Tyson Fury and Joshua of world class heavyweights that are going at it. Perhaps you know, some, similar to the Nigel Ben Eubank sort of era, yeah. where you know you, you you couldn't literally call it. And maybe there's two or three fights in there or something. Yeah, like that. and then you've got Huey Fury underneath that, and you know he could potentially get up to that level. You've got Dillian White. You don't know what level he's going to get yeah, to course, after this. Yeah. So you know, if there were you know, four of them up there at that level and they were able to have a oh. nice little round robin. That'd, That'd, be, br- great, That'd be amazing. That'd be um, but yeah, the only time Kitch will Co tell. coming really. out 56 years old. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, you know, add hay into that as well if he can, <laughs> uh, can get himself back in there. Okay, well, um, let's move, um, as you kind of mentioned it now, let's move on to 
Um, well, I don't know how much detail you want to go into them, but let's go to the Campbell fight. Campbell versus Mendy. That was a real shock. That um, I, I I didn't actually see the Campbell fight. Um, you and the boozer. Yeah. When I turned up, I sort of uh, as I was shuffling past one of the guys, he went, Campbell lost. And I was like, you what? He said, he just didn't throw anything. How? Um, no, I don't think, I think that's probably a harsh analysis of okay. it. He threw quite a lot. He just didn't throw enough to hurt him. And that's the problem that... Mendy was a bit, um, you know, a bit war torn. He's got experience. He's he's a rugged fighter. There was nothing special about him whatsoever. But he outmanned Campbell. And an interesting point. I didn't realise this until Saturday night. Luke Campbell's older than Tyson Fury. Um, oh wow! There you go. <laughs> but Luke Campbell just he still he showed traits of being an amateur still. And as much as he's a really really good prospect as a professional. He didn't have the power um, Saturday night to put Mendy off. So he probably won, I don't know, maybe the last four or five rounds in succession. But, I mean, he got floored earlier in the fight. Um, I think it, it raises question marks as to how effective he can be at that weight um, because he couldn't he couldn't stop Mendy from coming forward and getting into him. And I think that's ultimately what his problem was. He didn't have the power to to halt the progress of Mendy whenever he came forward which was pretty much throughout the full 36 minutes of the fight okay so it's quite depressing because he was kind of one of our uh, one of our hopes really wasn't yeah, he I don't, yeah, it's not a horrible loss by any means and you, know, you talk about learning fights and what have you it was a learning fight for him he needed he didn't have a plan B and so you know when his plan A of hitting him hard enough to keep him off him didn't work he didn't have a plan B so he's just getting chased around all through the fight how I realise I, I don't want to go too far and throw because I realise it can go on forever but how important is a non-loss record um I don't know I mean the only one who's hung anything on it for a few years now is Mayweather um I think it's overrated and I think a good example of somebody who has got losses on their record Sam Eggington who creates a lot of interest and a lot of buzz the British and Commonwealth welterweight title holder. Um, he's exciting to watch. Sky like showing him. People like watching him. He lost a couple early in his career. Uh, one on prize fight. I can't remember the other one. Um, but nobody hangs him on that now. Nobody, you know, when he's in the ring, nobody thinks, oh, well, you lost too early in your career. So it's, it's a fairly common stage for fighters to lose that undefeated record because they're going from fighting journeymen at the beginning of their career to fighting, you know, slightly better, slightly better. You have to reach a point where you have to throw him in with people like Mendy had been twelve rounds with Victor Postel, who um his recent world title fighter. He's not inexperienced Mendy, he's no. a, a rugged know how fighter. Um Postol couldn't finish him off, so there was very little chance Campbell was gonna really. Um so this is the kind of stage where you're likely to see fighters lose an undefeated record because it's almost like an awkward teenager year that you you have to somehow um, balance the the risk that you're taking with fighting more experienced fighters with the reward of what you're going to get out of, yeah, of winning. Yeah, okay, right. Yeah, I understand that. So, okay, so but what it tells what it tells us is it's not that important. I mean, you look at the, some of the best fighters in the world over the years. Paulie Malinaji. <laughs> there's no, there's no, there's no. Re- Funny enough, his name isn't on the list. No, because he was wanna... shit. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> he, he won, though, right? He won, yeah. Well done. That'd be brilliant. Um, okay, what about 
Kevin Mitchell. Now, I saw some of the Kevin Mitchell fight, and oh, I, th- I thought he looked awful, to be completely honest. Yeah, I thought he looked shot, frankly. He got knocked over um, the round before the fight was stopped. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, again, I'm imagining the O2, like the crowd were pretty much a home crowd to him, that everybody... It's in London, that's where he's from. He's an East End boy. Um, well, as a fact, one of the comments that I heard in was, this is pretty much a home draw for Kevin Mitchell. He can't be any further close to his home than to a fight in his back garden. <laughs> <laughs> and it's... Yeah. And when you when you hear things like that you you just it was sort of said with such contempt it's like people genuinely shocked around me when he when he when he lost not because he didn't see it coming because you kind of could but it was like Jesus like kind of thought you were going to turn this around somehow or put something <coughs> out of the bag I but. didn't I thought he looked dreadful from the off uh, Barroso came over I'd predicted a Barroso win I'm claiming that um, people didn't really know how good he was but A he's a southpaw which is always awkward not according to my notes no, actually bullshit <laughs> behave um, and B he's got a lot of knockouts on his record and Mitchell doesn't handle heavy hitters he's got stoppages on his record he's lost via stoppage a fair few times so it always looked a dangerous fight on paper Um Barroso hadn't fought anybody of kind of world class level, so again, it's difficult to tell how good he was going to be until he got there. But uh, there was the knockover the round before the fight was stopped, where I think they claimed that Mitchell uh, tripped on his legs. The ref counted it as a, a knockdown. Um, the Sky commentators were saying he tripped on his legs. To me, it just looked like he. <laughs> He was awkward all the way through it. Well, I, I thought it looked like um, he'd, he'd taken a body shot and that had knocked him off balance. That's kind of how I saw it as well. Yeah. Uh, I didn't agree with the Sky commentary. But I thought it was a legit no, knockdown. It, it, and initially, yeah. I did think it was a trip, but you know, Sky, Sky commentators. I thought it was, they've got they've got, photo, they got video replays right in front of them yeah. as well, and they're closer. I mean, a lot closer than <coughs> I was, but um, yeah, but they're also incredibly biased. So <laughs> yeah, well, then I looked. That at negates it. it. When we eventually saw the uh, replay, it was like, well, oh, it's clearly obvious that you got. Yeah, I thought anyway. No, I agree. Um, so him being stopped, I mean, he had that really bad eye cut against Jorge Linares from me earlier this year, where his eye was just a mess, and like straight away from about the second round, you could see his eye was puffing up where he'd previously had the cuts so that's going to damage him if he carries on like if I was an opponent you would just go straight for that eye and start trying to uh, swell it up again um, so yeah I hope he's finished and I don't mean that horribly because I enjoy watching Kevin Mitchell I just don't enjoy Kevin Mitchell getting beaten up um, yeah. but there's plenty of lightweights that are around I can't work out if Eddie Hearn loves him because he keeps getting him these opportunities at world title fights or if he hates him because he keeps getting him beaten up by like really tough people. Um, so I'm not sure which way around it is. You'll be you'll be all right. You'll be all right. But this guy's three le- three weights above me. You've made extra for him. <laughs> ah, you'll be fine. You'll take him on. Yeah, so uh, I, personally, I'd like that to be the end of Kevin Mitchell's career. But I think, especially with Luke Campbell losing... Um, I was chatting about this online with Steve Goodwin, the promoter, and he reckoned that he could see those two being put in together as a bit of a crossroads fight. Um, personally, I say I'd like to see him just hang him up a little bit now and, and do something else. But uh, he's a fighting man, so he'll probably carry on. Okay, um, we will come on to the uh, Eubank Jr. O'Sullivan fight, but I don't want to end this segment on the Bell U. <laughs> so we'll come on to the Eubank fight for, uh, afterwards. Um, Can we give the same treatment as the Malinaji fight? Because it was a bad exciting. I, mean, like I say, I walked into the stadium and it was 
dead and then uh, uh, like we were sitting there watching it sort of, right trying to get into the not not into the mood because obviously you but you've been having a chat having a drink in the pub talking about it, and then suddenly it's in front of you it's sort of like okay it, it wouldn't do well to come straight into it you want a few warm-ups you know get yourself sorted yeah after about two rounds I was like this is so boring I wish I was still in the pub I'd like yeah it, it, it was typical of Bellew I mean the only defence I'm going to give him is that in the interview afterwards he kind of uh, admitted he said you know I, I feel like I know that I'm not a world level or whatever which would have been nice if you'd have said that before you went out to Canada and thought Adonis Stevenson and all those fans fly over there with you mate spending their own money to get there mm-hmm. perhaps admitted before that but uh, <laughs> before you get wiped out but um, yeah, no, nah, he was he's European champion. That's probably his level, Tony Bellew. I don't think he's any better than that. Um, it was boring. It was a typical Be- Tony Bellew fight. <laughs> I don't know what else you can say, really. The most entertaining thing watching it at home was Dave Coldwell in his corner, who uh, just kept swearing at him in between rounds, saying like "fucking do this, Tony," and you really got to fucking step it up. And every time they then go back into the uh, the actual action. Then the Sky commentators going, "Oh, I'm really sorry for the oh language." Oh, come on! Um, <laughs> How many children can afford a Sky subscription, and then <clears throat> extra for box office, and then stay up that late? <laughs> but on that note, by the way, as well, like Sky on box office, as you say, we're showing adverts between know, that rounds. Is, that is cheap. And so you missed. We'll come on to it in a sec. But the Eubank O'Sullivan ending, where he got called off in between rounds, you missed all that right, because actually, they were off advertising William Hill or something. <laughs> it was a total joke so you come back to it and there's all this melee in the ring and as a viewer you haven't got a clue what's going on I mean if, yeah the amount I paid to stream that for free I felt <laughs> offended by the adverts um, well there's no point going on about the Bellew nope. uh, Master Name nope. fight uh, Bellew won on points yeah well um, done Eubank versus Sullivan uh, I what was the atmosphere like for this one this was good and personally it was a toss up for me uh, between that night of who won the walkouts um, between Dillian White and Eubank but I thought Eubank snatched it I love that still DRE as he came out (laughs) you know Um, his old man loitering in the background yeah of course Uh, White's White's, um, just to recap with that White's um, compilation of I can't remember what the song was but he had the Jaws music beforehand didn't he I thought that was inventive and I thought it was yeah it was it was was perhaps a little bit cheesy but um, certainly didn't work by then getting knocked out in the seventh <laughs> round. So overall, I'd have probably said Eubank. But I, like... I'd have said Stormzy. As a, yeah. Yeah, I was kind of deliberately trying to trying to ignore that one. Maybe yeah. it'll be a star of the future. Maybe. Every, Hopefully not. Maybe it'll be like Storms. One day we'll have Stormzy and Tyson Fury having a rap battle in the middle of the ring. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe by star. I hope he gets three stars in McDonald's because that's where his career should go. Painful. Um, anyway, back to the Eubank O'Sullivan fight. So... It started off, and we we were split. Some people were saying, "Ah, oh, O'Sullivan's a quality fighter. They've both been beaten by Saunders, but Saunders is a really good fighter, really technical. Um, this is going to be a good matchup." Now, I must admit, I didn't expect. This is the way I saw it. I didn't expect it, but I thought that Eubank punished Sullivan over and over again. I thought he was a bit um, a bit cocky, painfully cocky at times, and he was walking around with his arm with his guard completely down, and. As you'd expect, at that point, that's when Spike Sullivan was like, well, okay, I'll get some punches in. So he did. And it was only them times he actually managed to get anything back. Um, I just thought 
that one, the fight made me think, you know what? It's kind of after the Saunders, Billy Joe Saunders fight for Eubank, I thought, is Saunders, uh, sorry, is, is Eubank that good? Well, this fight made me think, perhaps he could be good, but if he keeps that attitude, he's never going to reach his potential. That's how <laughs> I kind of saw it. Um, and I thought, and when Sullivan threw in the towel, my understand, my sort of look at it was, well, I can understand it because he's been absolutely walloped for the last. What oh, I can't remember what round it was when they pulled uh, it six, off. I think. Was it? So I can't remember, but it was somewhere, somewhere along those lines. Yeah. Um, quite frankly, it didn't matter. He would have gone punished two yeah. two rounds either way. So yeah, that's how I saw it. How did you see it? From uh, no, I think that's pretty uh, pretty well summed up. Really, I mean. <laughs> um, O'Sullivan he's, he's agricultural he doesn't work his way into range he just tries to punch his way into range like with heavy heavy shots rather than any finesse about it, using the jab and get behind the jab and then and, and working his way in um, I think Eubank rates his own power probably more than what he should um, he rates himself as a bit of a power puncher now we've seen with Dimitri Chudinov where he battered him for 12 rounds and couldn't knock him out and then he's battered O'Sullivan and couldn't knock him out you know he stopped the fight yes but uh, he couldn't floor him um, O'Sullivan clearly has a, a hell of a chin on him um, can't doubt that because some of those lead uppercuts he was taking yeah. must have been like 6, 7 where he just <laughs> rocked his head back every time and he never managed to block them no like, I know he got through <clears throat> all of them like it was just like he's done that shot again <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I mean you can criticise Eubank for throwing a lead uh, uppercut like that without any uh, you know jab or, or trying to work his way in he's just throwing it at range um, as being a bit a bit raw but ultimately it was working so like just keep throwing it keep throwing against better opposition yes he would have got caught out by probably a right overhand uh, sorry a left uh, overhand something a left hook would have come around the top but he wasn't getting it back so he kept using it um, and he kept using it over and over and over again though Sullivan just couldn't find a way to, to avoid him when I say he's a, a bit of an agricultural fighter that's what I mean he doesn't um, have the finesse to slip out of the way of it um, he doesn't he doesn't move his head again when I'm talking about head movement you leave your head down the centre line you will get hit by punches down the centre line if he'd have had some head movement to the left to the right and just bobbing yeah. it um, he wouldn't have been there to be hit by it but he was and he kept coming forward in very lineal uh, he was movements. that's true actually I mean, I, used, I didn't think about <clears> the time but that's exactly what he was very it was like a mannequin-esque is the way he was dying yeah. in the ring like. it was almost as if like he had a rope tied to Eubank and he had to just follow Eubank in whatever yeah. way he went so there was no um, lateral movement left to right it was just purely straightforward all the time and that's why he was getting caught out because he wasn't using angles he was just using a straight line and every time getting caught by those big punches um but I think what it does is, as you were saying about Eubank and his cockiness and um, you know being a dicking around in the ring. Yes, it. You know, you say if you put him in with Golovkin, then Golovkin's just going to kill him doing that. Um, but it makes him probably the most exciting British fighter to watch. I can't think of any other fighters that particularly bring uh, the same risk that he brings into the ring with him. I can't think of any other fighters that look like they could get sparked out as often as he looks like he could <laughs> through fighting in that style and that manner. Um, plus, he, you know, he lands heavy shots. He does his own good work. I think, it, if nothing else, like people hate him, and that's absolutely fine. But it's exciting to watch. He's almost 
um, for the the mannerisms and the the lack of likability at times. He's Mayweather-esque. Um, yeah, I know what you mean there. I just... But you know, he's more aggressive. He's more attacking. He, uh, you can fault him all you like for what he does and how he how he carries himself in the ring and what have you. But I would watch him again. Like happily, happily watch his fights. Well, yeah, I, that's definitely true. I mean, you watch someone if you compare him in a separate way to um, Mayweather. When you watch Mayweather, you're guaranteed for generally you're going to watch a bore fest of some sort because he doesn't want to play. He, you know, he just wants to, he just wants to outskill you. Yeah, um, but when it comes to Eubank, he, it's almost like he wants to have a scrap, but then at times that's sort of peppered with. Oh yeah, I, I forgot to celebrate a bit before, you know, like to sort of take the. I forgot to be my dad for a little bit, and then, yeah. and then you know, it sort of then carries on. Um, he's another fighter that's lost. Like we said before um, to Billy Joe Saunders. Has where can he go? Where can Eubank go? Did he learn from the Billy Joe Saunders fight? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think he'd learned that he can go over twelve rounds, so he started quickly against O'Sullivan, which is the opposite of what he did against Saunders. Yeah, definitely. So where does he go? I mean, he's in line now to fight uh, Danny Jacobs for the uh, WBA regular title. Danny Jacobs won it the first round knockout of Peter Quillen a uh, weekend before, so he's in line to face him. That'd be an really good fight like yeah. really fun fight I don't know anything um, about this Jacobs Danny Jacobs he's a cancer survivor um, so he's come back from having cancer um, and beaten Peter Quillen they're both from Brooklyn uh, him and Quillen and he knocked out Quillen in the first I think minute minute and a half uh, weekend prior um, and he's a real heavy heavy puncher Jacobs but he's got a bit of a glass chin he's been down before he's been beaten uh, stopped before so yeah somebody who can bang an awful lot but is a little bit vulnerable against Chris Eubank I'd love to see it It'd be a fantastic yeah, it fight sound good doesn't it okay right well that kind of wraps up what we had to talk about at the weekend um, you got anything more to add to it no no okay, I think let's that's uh, move on to the news as we as I sort of gave a preview to before the uh, before the weekend action let's go for because I'm, I'm intrigued about the Golovkin Canelo uh, you've, uh, they've been given um, permission, or I mean, how how does this work with the WBC? Right. So um, when Canelo won the title against Cotto, he was essentially mandated to fight um, Golovkin. Now the WBC have come out, which is the belt that they'd be fighting for, have come out and said that they can each take one more fight prior to those two fighting each other. Um, with the idea being that they would both win and come through and then it would be a unification fight for the two of them so what they've actually said is that you can both take another fight um, to build up the hype essentially around you two fighting so it's a bit of a an odd one really that uh, you would think they would want to throw them together now um, but instead they're saying go away, build up the hype and then come back together uh, after it so they have stipulated the fight is to take uh, their other fights are both to take place by the end of May 2016 um, so they've essentially got what five months uh, five and a bit months to take other fights and then probably on that basis you're looking at either September or October uh, of next year for them to come together and have their kind of big showdown providing they both come through their other fights um, then you'll get all the pussying about over weights and um, 
you know purse bids and what have you so there's still a long way to go for it but it is positive news in that they said you kind of you have to do it but uh, go away and do something else first okay so um they can neither of them have massive reputations over here although having said that people are aware of Golovkin as a big puncher aren't they um where are those fights like this take place? It'd be a Vegas fight. No, America. Um, yeah. Um, oh, but the but the 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 fights beforehand. Oh, the fight. It depends who they're fighting, I suppose. Oh, okay. um, you know, Canelo may go back to Mexico and do one there or something as a, a bit of a homecoming. I don't know, but he fights in Vegas most of the time. Golovkin now, pretty much a resident of Vegas. For oh, his. really? Okay. So it'll probably probably all take place there. Um. So as we mentioned earlier. David Hay is coming back in uh, what is it, January? January, yep. And uh, the the sort of steal, the uh, win for uh, Goodwin Promotions, they're providing the undercard for. Yeah, they've um, they've been picked. Essentially, David Hay has got his promoter's license back, which he used to have Haymaker uh, Promotions, and so he's got that license back now, as well as his fighting license. So he's promoting the show himself. Um, so when a when an organiser such as Eddie Hearn or Frank Warren or whatever puts on a show, they normally have their own stable of fighters to make up the undercard. Okay. So the matchroom one at the weekend, it was all made up of matchroom fighters on one side of the card and then the away fighters on the other. But for Haymaker, they don't have um, a, stable. a stable. So it's David Hay. And so he's <clears throat> he's working with uh, Goodwin Promotions to provide the undercard. So there's another fighter, there's Billy Dibb, who's coming over from Australia. Um, he's going to be on the undercard because he's fi- uh, Hayes fighting Australian, so that'll make up part of that. Um, yeah, but then there's four fighters. I think it is. it's uh, Wadi Camacho, who's a former prize fighter winner. Uh, there's Kay Prosper, who I actually spoke to earlier, a guy from uh, Luton, who's uh, very exciting, um, like welterweight fighter. There's Jose Lopez, who's an undefeated cruiserweight, and then there's uh, Josh Kennedy, who's a really, really exciting super bantamweight. Um, there's quite a few names that he's put a decent amount. I mean, I'll, it would make sense anyway, but um, Goodwin's put some decent fighters. In he's there. showcasing, yeah. you know, like um, yeah. It's, and also, I mean, it's not something I've noted down, but there's um, George Groves is making his. I say comeback in the, in a loose sense because he's not been gone all that long. Um, he's just kind of disappeared from public view but he's back next year at the Copper Box down in London um, and again the Goodwin promotions I've actually got a number of fighters that they've got onto there so Leon McKenzie uh, is fighting on there in an English title eliminator there's okay. uh, Chris Agudu who defended his Southern Area title so they're getting some of their fighters onto big shows which is grand uh, it just it's great because you've got Eddie Hearn and Frank Warren who kind of monopolise the top end yeah. of it and actually yeah. to get these fighters onto other bigger cards as well as their own is fantastic because it creates a bit of competition so the Haymaker one's a real um, a real bonus for them it almost can you give Hay credit for that? yeah they didn't have the easy option of going to Eddie Hearn or yeah or I mean uh, that would have as you say probably been the easier um, if I don't know maybe slightly more expensive option I guess um, so it'd be interesting to see you know if Hayes sticks around in the sport as a fighter uh, if that relationship stays together um, in a sense of if he co-promotes more I say co-promotes it's his own promotion but if he works with um, you know not just Goodwin I mean there are other promotional bodies that he may choose to 
you know work alongside so i i don't know um the ins and outs of it but uh, it's, a, it's an exciting it's a change i suppose it's not yeah. the standard that you'd see okay um so that's a bit of a coup for goodwin promotions now um what so i had a few questions about this um the roy jones jr uh, before we go into the fight why just to clear up for me why <laughs> was Roy Jones Jr. a Russian citizen <laughs> I don't know because he's getting paid for it I don't, I don't know so there was no there was no need for him to become a Russian citizen in order for him to go for a title or anything like I don't know why that would be the case anyway but no, no specific reason to go for a specific title because that's what he seemed to obsess it's so with. bizarre he's been promoted by a guy called Vlad Huronov who uh, lots and lots of money behind him American guy. <laughs> yeah, that cold war didn't that, separate that, them. Eating graduate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he's teamed up with Vlad Huronov. He's fighting out of Russia. He had the Russian national anthem before the fight. Like, given this geezer is born and bred in America and he's just recently declared himself dual citizenship, he had the Russian national anthem and he had tears in his eyes oh whilst my it Lord. was playing. So, thankfully, on that note, he got knocked out by Enzo Macronelli. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because his acting career could take a turn for the better. <laughs> well, yes. Unless he really has such mental problems that he gets tears from a national anthem that's played minutes after being... Well, when the, the ink on his passport is still wet. Uh, it's it's so bizarre. Um, so, yeah, Did I mean, Roy Jones... No, I haven't, I've seen the knockout. I didn't bother watching it because it was fairly inevitable, really. Um because Roy Jones is shot and he still goes around claiming that it's God's mission for him to win uh, the cruiserweight world title so I doubt this is the end of it because he I mean quite how much God's mission relates to the seven figure salary he'd have got paid on well, maybe Saturday maybe referring to the fact that God's going oh this is a mission <laughs> <laughs> when he keeps getting knocked out. Um, so yeah I mean how much God is signing off those seven figure checks for him <laughs> to go and fight in Russia <clears throat> I know you have to ask God that I, I don't know the answer um, so yeah it's it's a bit of a joke really and it's sad to see because he's you know he's a legend of the sport he's gone from middleweight to heavyweight champion this is the only weight category he didn't pick up a world title in and so he still seems determined to go ahead and do it which is sad because He's. Uh, I've spoken to not so much recently, but a couple of years ago, I've spoken to boxing fans, and he, especially sort of around our age, is one of the reasons people got interested in boxing. So it's not like his uh, legacy was at all damaged by not having this this no. uh, this title that he seems like obsessed with winning, but yet he is damaging his career or his legacy, I should say, by continually getting in the ring as, as an old shot man yeah he is absolutely uh you know he was the he was the poster boy of boxing he was the front cover of fight night like every iteration of fight night would be roy jones you know in the 90s but uh yeah he's now you know endo macronelli good luck to him he didn't celebrate the win particularly uh from the clips i saw because i think he knows he was beating up an old legend who's carrying on too long um so does it do a massive amount for Enzo Macronelli? Probably not, because yeah, I'm sure it may help him get a title shot somewhere. But and another house, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, hopefully Roy Jones called it a day after that. 
doesn't seem to be a lot more to say about that particular thing. Um, okay, so slightly well, outside the ring, the WBA president, Gilberto Mendoza, has stepped down at their annual convention. He becomes the WBA presidential <laughs> title holder, <laughs> emeritus. <laughs> um, yeah, so go... Okay, I'll fill you in some details right, on yeah. this, right? Because Put the meat on the bones. I mean, you know, we discuss the WBA quite often. They often come across as a little bit um, corrupt, a little bit nonsensical in what they do. Maybe, um, you know, they don't follow the rules. So you're going to be surprised that some of this seems a little bit corrupt, a little bit nonsensical, and doesn't follow all the rules. So I'll fill you in the details. They had their um, annual convention... Gilberto Mendoza, old man, he didn't make it to the convention. He resigned via video link up from hospital. I think it was a little bit of a, a I don't think everybody was expecting it who was there. Right? So I was reading up on this. The WBA rules stipulate that there has to be a prescribed time uh, before there is a new president that can be named and elected. Uh, I don't know what that prescribed time is. It doesn't necessarily outline it anywhere. Um so yeah that prescribed time when he resigned was thrown out the window um because when he resigned they then decided on the spot to have a vote and they unanimously selected a new president there and then um okay so <laughs> questions yeah questions so gilberto mendoza resigns right yeah all the names in the world all the names in the world every every possible permutation of first names surnames who do you reckon they unanimously voted in to replace Gilberto Mendoza. <laughs> uh, right. Come on. Just a stab in the dark, but I'm assuming it's somebody Mendoza. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Gilberto Jesus Mendoza, his son. <laughs> unanimously voted <laughs> in. Go on, Gilberto. I should have just gone for Gilberto Mendoza. <laughs> yeah, yeah. His oh son uh, gets voted in. Um, he was serving as the second vice president at the time. And so, uh, you know, because the WBA don't get enough shit from people for, like, having too many belts and having a, a corrupt ranking system and handing out belts left, right and centre, what do you do? You replace the bloke who's in charge of it, who's caused all these problems, with his son. You just show yourself to be publicly, grossly nepotistic as well. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Yeah, so I printed off a quote from his son. Uh, the passion I put into this sport was inherited from my father, of course. But this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to make boxing better. And one of my first messages as president is this. We need to work united. We need to un we need unity in this sport. We need to create standards that are somehow uniform. Not your uniform, mate. Your shit. <laughs> and we can do it. I know we can do it. He goes on. Boxing is maverick. No, your old man was maverick before he <laughs> handed over the reins. <laughs> We cannot lie about that. Promoters have their interests, and certain fighters too, and the TV as well. Oh yeah, because it, neglects you're to pure, put though. neglects to put himself yeah. and his dad and their organisation. If only these people were fair, <laughs> then we could clean the sport up. So he carries on. It's a complicated world where flexibility is key. So that'll explain why they've got three belts per weight division because they need flexibility, don't they? You yeah. can't you can't be structured. And also, they need to they need to have several people from the same family. In and amongst yeah. the, in case one of them retires, they can just <laughs> throw them straight back in again. Yeah, so, so that's flexibly. We don't need big meetings. We just need to sit down and talk and respect the other's position. 
So yeah, that was the uh, the open statement from Gilberto Jesus Mendoza, who's taken over from Gilberto Mendoza. So as so I say, the you odds know, on Gilberto Mendoza the third taken over from him. Yeah, probably. It seems he'll be like the Lion King. Like maybe somebody's going to come along and take him out. With <laughs> <laughs> a scar know. on his face. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, the WBA get all sorts of grief from boxing fans for their inept way of running an organisation. Why, why isn't why isn't their reputation affected then to the point where we don't care about the WBA anymore? surely a governing body is especially in a sport where there's dozens of them can only be as potent or as useful as and it's not like they're the originals it's not like the WBC so why do they still hold any weight or gravity um because okay right Eddie Hearn puts on a show um Saturday night where the Spike O'Sullivan Eubank Jr was a WBC final eliminator right he can advertise that as as a fan, I don't care personally that it's a final eliminator. For, sorry, it's a WBA final eliminator, not WBC. Right, yeah, I wonder what that was going. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Right. And so the winner of that is in line to face uh, Daniel Jacobs, as we discussed earlier. Yeah. The WBA, like, Daniel Jacobs isn't even their main title holder, Golovkin is, but everyone neglects to mention that when they talk about the winner going on to face a world champion. It's their second world champion. But Eddie Hearn neglects to mention that, so he can make it into an eliminator for a world title fight. So that's how they remain relevant to anything. Is because that they have so many belts. They have so many belts, and promoters are happy to pay the sanctioning fees because they can say that their fight is a final eliminator for a world title fight. You know, we've kind of discussed it before. But so basically, they're exploiting credi- prior credibility. Yeah, and so you know, we're going to come on to it in a minute about a Frank Warren card coming up this weekend. As far as I'm concerned, the WBA titles are relatively irrelevant. The WBO titles are relatively irrelevant. Um, the IBF, you know, I think since we've last done one, they stripped Fury of their title. <laughs> Makes a joke of it, but at least they've stuck to their own rules. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's so, a, yeah. You know what we just spoke about, I suppose that's got to be applauded. You can't abuse them for sticking to their rules. You can't abuse them for not having some flexibility. And or having stupid rules. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, they've got their reasons, they've got their justification that you shouldn't sign fights with rematch clauses. And I'm sure the Fury team would say, we didn't ask for a rematch clause, we were forced into a rematch clause. Yeah. So, you know, there's all the ifs and buts around it completely, but you begrudgingly have to accept that at least they've set some rules out and stuck by them. Um, the WBA just make it up on the spot and they're a bit of a shambles. So, yeah. So, what, what, okay, so what governing body would you say has the most credibility then? <laughs> it's like I know, I know it's like choosing. Do you want to get run over by a man. bus or a car? <laughs> yeah. I know um, it's like choosing the most honourable man from Sing Sing, but <laughs> um, probably I don't know. For historical legacy, the WBC are very good. They don't proliferate their divisions with multiple belts too much. They do a little bit, uh, and the IBF, uh, the WBC and the IBF are the two that have slightly more credibility than. <laughs> the others, the WBO and the WBA. So Deontay Wilder is the most credible heavyweight champion in the world, yeah? Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> the bronze bomber. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not the golden tactician, the bronze bomber. Yes. So, yeah, that's enough about it. Yeah, just to explain really, really what's gone on uh, out of the ring. Um, right. So, Frank Warren, as we as you spoke about earlier, uh, another another guy who's just 
just it's it's bizarre but he happens to have an equally talented son who's uh, in, in, in <laughs> France it's bizarre it's bizarre it's just yes. so lucky how these people are so talented and they have such talented children it's just brilliant how it passes down yeah Eddie Hearn of course it's like well. lineage talent um, but anyway yeah um, Frank Warren is he's got a show up in Manchester give us the lowdown yeah okay so um, as we are just discussing this to me is a prime example of where the talent on show will sell a sh- or should sell a show um, it hasn't sold it particularly well because you can still buy tickets for it three four days in advance which is pretty tragic really given what's on display but is this going to be another you've won tickets yeah, three possibly. minutes from the start yeah. of the first fight yeah um, so it's headlined by uh, oh, we'll come into headline a bit I suppose but I saying about what's the most creditable um, body the WBO have got seven of their titles like not world titles there are two world titles on offer but then there are five trinkets underneath that that are on offer Saturday night uh, all seven WBO titles um, which is pretty shocking really like how much as we said the other week Frank Warren won the WBO European promoter of the year well that's a massive yeah, shocker yeah. isn't it <laughs> um, so there's a really good undercard you've got um, who's on there there's Mitchell Smith who's a very very exciting fighter really good fighter exciting to watch uh, Paul Butler former world title holder you've got Tommy Langford who's an undefeated uh, middleweight you've got Jack Cattrall who's a really 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 good fighter so you've got some real quality on display um, they're not all in great fights but they're the decent fighters to watch uh, the main support for the evening is Liam Smith against Jimmy Kelly um, which is a WBO surprisingly <laughs> like middleweight <laughs> title fight um, so Liam Smith won the title back in October versus John Thompson um, up in Manchester he's taking on Jimmy Kilrain Kelly um, actually did some stuff with Jimmy Kelly uh, a week or so back he's very much unfavoured he's undefeated going into it but he's only fought I think two or three fighters with winning records so quite how you manipulate yourself into a world title fight when your record isn't you know it's undefeated but it's not a great against great opponents it makes a bit of a shambles that you make it into that position where you're fighting for a world title Um, but that said he's there so uh, you know he in essence is the home fighter he's from Manchester himself which is where the fight is and um, Liam Smith is from Liverpool so in theory he'd have the crowd behind him (laughs) I don't know what you can say about it really they're both undefeated Liam Smith has fought better people but um, he'll probably win it, but you don't. I don't know enough about Jimmy Kelly, I suppose, to make an educated statement that he has no chance because you haven't seen him because he's not fought anyone particularly. Mm. So it's a bit of an odd one that he's kind of chucked in at that level. Um, the critics would say that it's an example of Frank Warren. By critics, I'm just saying me, really. But uh, <laughs> I'm doing it in the third person. Critics would say uh, it's an example of Frank Warren. One critic I spoke to said, <laughs> <laughs> "You can't get done for slander, can you?" Yeah. It's quoted. Um, it's an example of where Frank Warren can get hold of a belt, and then rather than fight anyone decent with it, you, you just put them in against somebody that's not very decent, and you manipulate the rankings to get somebody in there that you choose no. you know, for the no, defense. No, to no, be it wouldn't against. happen in boxing, mate. It would not happen in boxing, especially. <laughs> In a, in a situation where, say, for example, Frank Warren and the WBO, 
two very respectable and not in any way linked organisations. Not corrupt or anything along those lines. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Your Honour. Yeah, so it's it's a prime example of where the system gets manipulated to allow them to pick a, a fa- on paper a fairly easy um, voluntary defence. The sport is is it, to some extent is still controlled by people that live in the past, isn't it? So you're going to get like certain attributes yeah. that look like they should belong in the 1970s. Yeah, so uh, don't get me wrong. It's, it's the main support of a card is a world title fight. So in essence, it's it's good. Um, but in reality, it could it could turn out to be a mismatch. But it's better than some of the cards that he's had on recently. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a good card. Like, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm not negative about it. It's a really, really good card. Um, which, as I say, is a shame that it hasn't managed to sell out the MEN or Phones for You Arena, whatever it's called these days, with a few days to spare. Because the amount of quality on show is exceptional. Um, but. What is it about Frank Warren can't sell a show as well as Eddie Hearn can sell it? You know, when he puts tickets on sale that have got a British title fight headlining it with Anthony Joshua and a world title eliminator as the main support, it sells out in 10 minutes, you know, two days, whatever, I don't know. And yet Frank Warren can't sell out a smaller arena with four days to, to go before the fights. Yeah. It's something, there's a disparity somewhere between how they're engaging with the fans. Yeah, the way that they've been promoted, I suppose. Yeah. It's, it's certainly the card we went to this weekend felt like it had more pizzazz than the, the MEN. And that's more from a um, an outside perspective rather than yourself, who's certainly more ingratiated into the sport. Like It's um, underexposed. Yeah. Uh, maybe that, yeah, well, that's obviously what it is, isn't it? Um, uh, the mad thing is... A better job at at exposing his fighters and yeah. getting them getting them concurrent with the media and stuff like that. And maybe that comes down to the fact that Frank Warren owns his own TV channel, Box Nation, so they can do all the promotion they want, but they're on a channel that yeah. you have to subscribe separately to. People subscribe to Sky because of the football, and then they get the boxing with it, and so they'll see all the build up to it whilst they're watching the football. So that hypes the excitement. Unless you're a proper, you know boxing fan that's going to go out their way to pay for Box Nation, you're not going to know that these fights are going mm. on. And it's, it's not those people that make the difference in terms of the financial bang, it's it's the fair weather fighters you need to include that yeah. the guys that sell out 90,000 Wembley arenas or yeah. you know those 90,000, you know, 80,000 of them don't give a shit the week after yeah, of course, yeah. Um, but you know those 10,000 that do are the ones that have got Box Nation, those 10,000 <laughs> will head up to the MEN next weekend or this weekend coming um, but unfortunately you can't feel the rest of it so yeah, it, exactly. it, it's sad to some extent because I say it is a, a quality card but it's underexposed so the headline of it anyway yeah going back to what's <laughs> sorry we went off on a tangent uh, Andy Lee and Billy Joe Saunders for the WBO that'll be a good fight yeah uh, middleweight title it will it'll be a really good fight it's the third attempt they've had at getting it on uh, it was originally meant to be an island then in Manchester and that was when Billy Joe Saunders got cut uh, and so it's the third attempt at putting it on and uh, yeah it will be a good fight you've got Saunders who's a very natural boxer and you've got Andy Lee who is a power puncher and two southpaws which don't typically create a, a great spectacle for fights because they kind of clash a little bit um, but I mean yeah throughout it all you going to have the underlying almost a fact I suppose if it goes to points Billy Joe Saunders will win it 
if it gets stopped early, Andy Lee will win it. That's kind of what it comes down to, is that Billy Joe Saunders isn't a power puncher, isn't somebody renowned for holding lots of power uh, and being able to knock opponents out that well. Andy Lee, on the other hand, um, is somebody that has been down on the cards in fights and has stopped the opponents, um, you know, just through a really powerful right hook that he's got. Um, yeah, he's a dangerous fighter all the way through a fight, whereas Billy Joe Saunders isn't necessarily dangerous throughout, but he can keep up a where he loses the, the pace towards the back end of a fight. His stamina is a bit questionable. Um, but he's a technically sound boxer. So it's a good mix between, uh, you know, power and skill. Okay, so let me just get this right. You're, you're going for you're going for an Andy Lee stoppage or a Billy Joe Saunders on points? Yeah, I mean... Uh, the two of them, what would you go uh, with? Saunders on points, I think. Okay, so Purely because you haven't seen him... Uh, he's a very evasive fighter. You haven't seen him get hurt, particularly in his fights. Um, See, I, I have a question about him. Like, he seems to waste so much energy springing around the ring like a kangaroo. I, I don't. I perhaps it's because I can't appreciate the higher skill of his boxing. I don't know, but he just frustrates me. I, I, I wouldn't. I'd love to see someone going and tan him. I really would. Well, you like may get it this weekend. Bouncing and boinging around, just like oh man. But he only does it for the first half because he's knackered by the second. <laughs> well, um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, there's you know there's underlying stories to it. So it's the first time two travellers have ever met for a world title. Um, so steer clear of the MEN. So <laughs> based on my experience, of, there a caravan convention going on. <laughs> yeah, based on my experience of being at cards with uh, you know a number of travellers on them, it gets a bit hectic, a bit rowdy. Um, yeah, actually, that is true. Actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, it's a fascinating fight and I think it'd be a really really good fight and I say it's just a shame to an extent that it hasn't got the same high profile that uh, the, the card last weekend in London had because it's a better card potentially is that it? yeah pretty much I'm going Saunders points um, do you have anything else to add for this Frank Warren show no not really other than uh, you know, I hope the WBO are there in full numbers supporting it, and uh, no doubt they will. And the best thing about it is, I'm sure if if someone was to at the top of the rankings or at the top of the organisation was to die, I'm sure they'd they'd take the uh, WBA's example and just slide his brother, mother. I reckon Frank Warren would get the call up. Yeah, <laughs> it pretty much works for him That's anyway. A good point, actually, yeah. Um, I thought we'd we'd end by just talking a bit about the um. Well, as we just, I just came into my mind then, you know, the dream of the traveller. Um, you were talking about the travellers getting a bit rowdy. Do you remember we went to the XL? Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so we went to the XL to watch the Billy Drew Saunders Eubank fight. It and the was Fury, Chisora 2, yeah. And, uh, Fuck me. About, half, <laughs> about <laughs> halfway through, somebody just started smoking. That was it. They just decided he was going to have a fag. Indoors, was, yeah. The security was horrendous. Like nobody even gave a toss. And um, when you say halfway through, I think you mean very liberal. Saying halfway through, I would say maybe an hour in. <laughs> uh, yeah, because then, like, it was almost like the entire population of the arena, bar me, smoked, and they were like, they were just. Uh, smoke does not rise in, I don't know why for what reason but smoke does not rise in the XL it just hangs it was it was like being in the 1920s when you see that on TV but you know the smoke hazing over the ring it was it was similar to that Horrend- I can't imagine what it would have been like for the boxes and then I remember distinctly queuing for the toilets <laughs> 
I think before before you even got to the toilets, you had to walk from where we were through the bar area where there were just people concussed on the floor. Um, there were people with like blood pissing down their face from where they'd been in a bit of a scrap. <laughs> pissing in pint glasses. Pissing and in pint on the floor. It was like being at a festival, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, that's, 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 and it was just a concrete floor as well, so it was really slippy and it was and beer stank. and piss everywhere. Yeah. And then you went down to the toilets. <laughs> God knows why, because at this point it was literally like living in a sewer. So you could have just done it anything anywhere and you would have only been, well, all right, you'd have been adding to it, but it would have been. And this is now into the concourse of the Excel Arena yeah, as well. Like, it's not, it's not in one area. It's kind of spread out by this point. Um, and then you walked into the toilet area and that was when you realised that, wait a minute, is there a hole in the roof or something? Because like, you had to queue, didn't you? Because the, the toilets were particularly busy. So, you know, for yeah. the odd occasion, the men have to queue outside of the, the toilets. And you've got the stairs. You have to queue where the stairs are for the yeah, car yeah, park. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. the multi-stories going up and down. That's right. So we, you had to go down about two flights of stairs before you got to the... Yeah, something like that. To to the toilets. And there was just this water running <laughs> down... <laughs> The staircase, like just because it, it spirals back on itself like a snake almost, like a like a typical um, skyscraper staircase, and uh, there's just water, just well, I, you know, I'm Naively. pissing down, yeah, <laughs> water apparently pissing down, and then you realise that someone had gone to the very top of the staircase and decided to piss all over the floor, and so that it was dripping like it was absolutely raining down, and it was like uh. that's nice. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, we weren't standing in it for two hours and then wondering what it was, but it was just... It was a similar effect when I drilled for a water pipe in my house a couple of weeks back and you had water <laughs> pissing down two storeys of a building. Only it didn't start his life off at beer, as beer, go through a liver and then come out of someone's urethra. Uh, so. Yeah, no, so hopefully the MEN are slightly better prepared yeah, and I have some security so. that have a pair of bollocks on Do them. Do you remember when we stood in front stop. of that security guard? And he oh. stood, and and well, no, it was in front of some people, and they sort of said, "Oh, excuse me, can you move out of the way, please?" The security guard standing right next to them didn't give a toss until we stood in his way. And then he went, <laughs> "Lad, you can't stand there. We've been standing for the last half an hour, mate. You haven't given a toss." Yeah, but I like the fact that all the offences going on inside that arena that night, like assault, yeah, <laughs> smoking indoors, Public people urination. pissing against walls, yeah. us standing in front of him and blocking his yeah, view was the one view, thing mate. he was happy yeah, to pick I, up on. I, 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 I won't stand for some things, mate. Come on. <laughs> Everyone's got a limit, son. Everyone's got a limit. Piss on the floor if you want. Have a fag while you're doing it, but do not stand in my way. Um, However, you did get to uh, have a brief conversation with Tyson Fury. uh, I did. You met Peter Fury after the match. I did. I did. And Eddie Chambers. Yeah. Oh, Andy Joshua was there, wasn't he? Was he? He was there, yeah. Wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. So I mean that was just a sort yeah, of fresh off. Just, just a little preview for what you got this weekend. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you're going up you're to going Manchester. To, if you're one of the seven people going to the MEN <laughs> that's what you might have in store. Um so yeah, okay, well I guess that's all that's left to be said. We've gone on for yeah. a, quite a while yeah, here. You told our urine stories. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um so yeah. Uh thank you very much for listening. That's probably gonna be the last one we do this year, isn't it? Uh, we yeah, we I may get together so. next weekend. I mean, but, yeah, we uh, kind of just I apologies again for the the lackluster amount of time we're, we're putting these up. Um, it's because we don't care about you. Yes, yeah, well, anyway, thank you very much for listening, and we will see you in the new year. Enjoy, enjoy Christmas. Oh,